Hi, it's Joe, with a short message before we start the episode. This month, we're bringing you a special episode about the Bow House, a food hub in Fife in Scotland. Katie actually visited the Bow House way back in May of last year, 2019. For one reason or another, it's taken a long while to get the episode ready, but we're really pleased to be able to share it with you now. Obviously, rather a lot's changed in the last year. So at the end of the episode, we'll hear an update on how the Bow House has responded to the pandemic. Speaking of which, we know it's been a challenging time for a lot of people, and we're planning a series about how food and farming communities have been affected and changed by the COVID-19 crisis. If you have a story to tell, then please get in touch via the website or Twitter. Let us know what you've experienced. And one more thing. This episode was made by Katie Revel, who also produced our serial series. And we've just found out that it's been nominated for two Guild of Food Writers Awards, which is very exciting. Okay, that's enough preamble. Enjoy the episode and take care. Welcome to this special episode of Farmerama. We're in the East Nook of Fife in Scotland. It's a coastal region dotted with picturesque fishing villages and blessed with fertile volcanic soils. But as is the case in much of the UK, very little of the food produced here is actually consumed locally. In this episode, we'll be hearing about one attempt to change that situation. It's a project called the Bow House, and it describes itself as a place for transforming raw ingredients from Fife into produce ready for everyone to enjoy. The Bow House opened in 2017, and it's part of the 2000 hectare Balkaski Estate, which also includes an in-hand mixed livestock and arable operation, as well as a number of tenanted farms. Since the late 17th century, the estate has been home to the Anstruther family. I'm Toby Anstruther. I suppose I conceived Bow House and have started to put it together. I farm here at Balkaski and Bow House is, if you like, an extension of that farm and a way to try and bring some of that produce from the farm to the public. The Bow House was conceived as a way to replace a missing link in the local food chain, the link between producer and consumer. I suppose I was frustrated to see that a lot of our produce was just disappearing off in big trucks and that people driving around had no idea what was in the fields and how that related to them. I was frustrated that the local restaurant had fantastic broccoli on the menu, but he got it from the Glasgow Veg Markets because although it was growing in fields all around him, there was nowhere for him to get it from locally. So it just felt like that local food system has been dismantled by successive moves towards scale. And so I felt that we need to do something to try and reintroduce some smaller scale links in the, in the chain of food. The Bow House is housed in a collection of renovated farm buildings. There's a cafe and event spaces, including a huge barn that once a month plays host to market weekends. During Bow House market weekends, stallholders from Fife and other parts of Scotland gather to sell vegetables, meats, drinks, seafood, honey, preserves, flowers and flour. There are street food stalls as well, and cooking demonstrations and live music. But as well as offering these monthly retail opportunities, 
The Bow House is also a year-round production space for small food businesses. So it's a space for producers to take raw materials, either from us or elsewhere, and then to transform them. So it's gotten the bread, Andrew Whitley, so he's taking grains that we grow for him and then he's milling them and then producing the, the flour. And a lot of the ideas came from seeing elements of Bow House elsewhere. So, for example, in Stockholm, the Rosengarten is fantastic. Uh, that is a community growing space and a community garden where people are collaborating together. Uh, Maltby Street and Druid Street and Spa Terminus are production spaces where the public get access through at one time of the week and understand the process and really, uh, I suppose, are recruited to be proper fans that understand what they're buying and who they're buying it from. And so our production spaces and our markets and things are designed to try and pick up elements of that and uh, deliver it into the East Nika 5. My name's Rosie Jack. I'm the market and events manager here at Bowhouse. I think for me, Bowhouse is... I mean, I feel like these words are always a bit cliche and a bit overused, but a food hub. And I think we're really trying to be a place for meeting, gathering, collaborating together, food production processes. Giving that space for all these small businesses to operate from is really important. And bringing people together in this way opens up new opportunities. You see things happening where they, somebody goes, I don't know how to do this part of my business. And the guy next door goes, oh, I can do that. I'll help you out. And that's really important because otherwise they would be on their own and that would maybe hold back a lot of businesses. Another of the Bowhouse's goals is to demystify food production, to start to rebuild people's practical, emotional and cultural connections with the farmers and other producers who feed them. Market and events manager Rosie herself comes from a farming family. For me, coming from that agricultural background, I mean, just because I've been brought up in that way, I find it easy to sort of say, right, this is what I think people don't understand about the food production process, so let's try and figure out the most sort of fun and simple way of explaining that in the most transparent way. I always feel that sometimes agriculture gets a really bad flack for, um, for things that really are out of their control and it's part of the process that's been like that for many years and sometimes, you know, that process is changing and we're always trying to get better. Um, my family's from the dairy industry and we're always trying to get better but sometimes we do get about hard time and just being really honest about it and just saying, yeah, this is how we do it. And, you know, for us, it's really important that we do it this way because this is the safest or the, the best way or the highest quality product that we can give everyone. So that's what, we, that's what I try and get across in the market space every, every month. Let's hear from a few of the stallholders selling their produce at one of the Bowhouse's market weekends. Who are they and what do they think of the project? I'm Robert Campbell and I've got a small farm in North Fife. We breed grass-fed Dexter beef and we're currently nearing the end of our organic transition with the Soil Association. This farm is a sort of second career project. I used to work in London and we moved up here about 10 years ago and bought a small farm. And we thought if we're doing a small farm, we should do something niche. So we wanted to organically farm the land very, very good for the wildlife, the birds, the bees, the pollinators. And we also wanted to bring in cattle into the ground uh, as well as sheep. And we've also started our new project, a silver pasture, where we've got about 50 acres of woodland, which we actually now graze with cattle as well. And what we're finding is the cattle are bringing a lot of wildlife and a lot of birds into the woods. And you'd be surprised just how well cattle do in woodland situations. 
Fife is very, very good at local food and having loads of local producers. And Bowhouse is an opportunity as a local producer to actually market our local produce, which comes from, must be 15 miles up the road to all the people who actually attend Bowhouse. And it's a great way to speak to consumers who actually want to buy local beef, organic beef with provenance. My name's Katrina Monson, along with my husband Gavin. We own Middle Way Drinks. Uh, we make water kefir based soft drinks near Loch Lomond. So water kefir is a fermented drink. So we use water kefir grains, which is the equivalent of how a brewer might add brewer's yeast to sugar water. We add our water kefir grains to mineralised sugar water. They then convert that into vitamins and organic acids, and it just creates a unique flavour and brings the sugar level down. We then add pure fruit juices to make our different flavours. The challenge for us is that water kefir isn't really well known, so a lot of it's about educating our consumers um, to understand what it is and why it's better than your usual carbonates and syrup mixes that most soft drinks make. But it is exciting and we're just coming into our first summer of trading, a uh, full summer, so we're quite looking forward to seeing how it goes. I am Susie and together with my husband I run a wee charcuterie company in Leith called East Coast Cured. We specialise in the production of slow-cured Scottish meat, uh, mostly pork, but we dabble in a few different bits and pieces, beef, uh, duck, all sorts. It's really about taking the best Scottish produce and making amazing shirky to me. Basically, we love food. It's always been a really important part of our relationship. Um, it's informed our travels and things. My husband used to live in the south of France. Love eating charcuterie. Have talked for years about you know the lack of good Scottish charcuterie, given how good our produce is. And we built a curing chamber in the eaves of our attic several years ago um, that was all environmentally controlled. Started testing recipes and things, and then decided it would be nice to have a family business. And yeah, and here we are. So it's been about a year since we started trading at the Bow House and obviously um, we sell our produce here but we also um, buy the odd Tamworth pig from them. The estate manager's sons rear some pigs so um, yeah we take a pig or two and it's quite nice to have a special for customers on Bow House weekends. Hi guys, help yourself to samples. I'm just being asked some questions. We make them all in Edinburgh using Scottish pork. No worries at all. We've loads of traders and the traders are amazing. Sometimes it'd be great if we had some more um, seasonal and that's really hard because the margins are so low. You know, veg has been really hard to get hold of. We've got loads of veg farmers, but to be fair, those farmers don't want to stand behind a stall on a Saturday or Sunday. Absolutely fair enough. You know, they work very hard. So getting those seasonal produce, we've really struggled to get fresh dairy products. So those are the things that I really want to build upon is getting those traders in and involved as well. I mean, we could have lots of jam makers, which is great, that's really important, lots of alcohol traders, which is great, but trying to get those fresh producers is really what, what I've struggled with in trying to find those people. And on a bigger scale, um, you always think collaboration is gonna be the easiest part and everyone wants to work together, but sometimes it's actually quite hard to make sure everyone is having a fair chance or some people shout louder than others and it's giving the, the maybe quieter people that have an amazing product the chance to shout about it as well or even just tell their story. That's why we do the cooking demos. We had a gin demo this morning at 11am which is a bit early um, and then we've got a baking demo that's just about to happen and then a walk and talk with Jason down by the coast as well with seaweed. On which note, 
Let's meet some of the producers who found a home at the Bow House, not only in the form of production and retail space, but also as part of a community of businesses eager to share skills and knowledge. Here we are, so that's quite a quick little walk. Already here you can see why the East Nuke is really good for seaweed because you get such a big tidal range. Jason Biles is the founder of East Nuke Seaweed. He harvests seaweed for sale and also runs guided foraging trips. So, you know, all those rocks and another, probably not even another hour, most of these rocks will all be covered up. You know, what will be right up here. For me, actually, part of the magic of actually being out there in that environment is that you're walking around on land that only gets exposed, you know, maybe four or five times a year, some of these on the super big tides. And also there may have not been humans walking out here for 10,000 years. You know, maybe the last time a human was walking out there was uh, before the last ice age, you know. So that alone, you know, for me is part of the magic. Different species grow in different areas. But uh, just up here, a little bit further out, and um, you know, maybe I can, I can run out quickly if you guys don't want to, but we can see there's a bit of pepper dolls growing up there. And uh, that's one of the varieties of seaweed when people try that. It's something they really don't expect. So I can try and get us a little bit of that if you like, and then it might be time to head back after that. It's just a, just a quick walk today. Sounds perfect. Just so I can get the, the levels right, could you just tell me, the classic question is always, what did you have for breakfast? Okay. Well, I had uh, seaweed. <laughs> Eggs on toast with seaweed is what I had for breakfast. Definitely seaweed. <laughs> <laughs> on brand. Very yeah. good. Cool, thank you. I'm originally from New Zealand. I've been in the, in the East Nuke now for three years. I came up here for a commercial seaweed harvest management job. I've now decided to go into business for myself. But for me, my big focus is really about education um, and educating the, you know, the local people of the East Nuke about the abundance that is available right on their back doorstep there. And obviously with that comes uh, educating them about safety and also educating them about sustainability. You know, but for me, a big passion is not only seaweed, it's just all wild food in general. You know, and I really think that uh, through eating more wild, seasonal and locally produced food, that we can actually all make a, a reduction in our impacts on, on the planet. I was in Glasgow and a friend of mine had heard about seaweed harvesting up here in Fife. So I came up and I checked it out and you know, really it's all gone from there. My first experience in the East Nuke was uh, Ely sunsets, Kingsburn sunrises, and, and the, uh, the heron, who, you know, he was my first resident. So I met up here in Fife and you know, the, the heron for me really signifies that space you know, where earth, sea, and sky all meet. You know, and that's his hunting ground. That's where where they hang out. And uh, you know, so that's really how the heron ended up on my logo because we, we share that space together. You know, and we're all connected. You know, whether whether it be heron or humans, you know, we're all sharing the space. It's not about me being down there and maybe chasing the heron off because he's taking my space. You know, we're going to share it together. You know, I believe that that everyone that lives here in the East Nuke, with that total abundance that's on their back doorstep, you know, they should all have the confidence to go and interact with that, you know, and, 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 you know, harvest a bit of their own seaweed. And obviously with 
encouraging people to go down and forage seaweed, I need to also really be educating people about how to do it in a safe manner, how to do it in a sustainable manner. So again, it's just about giving people the confidence to go and try it out, you know, they have a bit of fun with it. I'd like to start supplying a bit of fresh seaweed to local businesses, but again, I'd like to keep it local. I don't see the point going out there and then cutting it sustainably, you know, walking home and then sending it off somewhere, wrapping it in plastic and sending it away. I don't really see the point in that. If you're not in the East Nuke, go and find your own coastline, you know, and you know, start harvesting it locally. But you've got the right to roam, so you know, anyone can, can roam on any land. In, in Scotland and the UK, actually, there can be private ownership of beaches, but you, know, you can walk on there as long as you're being respectful. If you're feeling inspired to forage seaweed yourself, make sure to ask the owner of the beach first. In the UK, that might be a local council, the National Trust, or an individual landowner. Jason also points out that if you're harvesting deep in the intertidal zone, you're likely to be on Crown Estate land. Visit thecrownestate.co.uk and search for seaweed to find the information you need. And it's a bit the same as uh, harvesting land plants. If you're harvesting plants on, on land, you shouldn't rip it up from the roots because you've, in effect you've killed the plant and there is regulations against that. Uh, so that's why, you know, if you're taking seaweed, you should leave the hold fast on there and, and leave a certain percentage of the plant behind. You know, then it's still living, it can regrow, you're not, you're not breaking any rules. I mean, the whole ethos behind foraging in the first place is that you take what you need. You know, if you want to take a bit extra for your neighbour because they can't get out, then that's fine. You shouldn't be down there taking away kilos and kilos of it. You know, also you have to be careful of, of things like water quality, all the rest of it. You know, so it does pay to, to do a bit of research. And uh, on my tours, you know, I go into the sustainability, I go into the regulations, and I go into ways that you can find out about the water quality and, and places that you can contact to find out. Pretty much all seaweeds are, are edible, as in the fact that they're not toxic for you. So yeah, unlike mushrooms, there's pretty much no toxic seaweeds out there. So. I'll kind of encourage people to head down to the beach and just start munching on any old seaweed and you'll soon know whether it tastes good or not. But you know, you can be confident in the fact to know that you're not going to do yourself any, any damage. Jason believes the bow house is bringing multiple benefits to the East Nuke. For me, bow house is a, is a really invaluable resource for the, for the local communities around here because first of all, it's a way that you can all come together, you know, learn about new things, it's about networking, you know, it's always a nice, fun day. Uh, you know, and just the fact that it's an indoor, outdoor venue as well, you know, that's, that's really important. And um, even on the East Coast, where we get a bit less rain, for me, I mean, the biggest thing about it is, is about the networking. Is there yeah. anything else you'd like to say? Any sort of message you'd like to send out? Hi, Mum. No, I, I think just really, you know, uh, I'd, love, I'd love for people to contact me and, and come out on a tour and learn more about you know, what I do and what we can all do together you know, and uh, let's have some fun, let's have fun with it. Here's Rosie Jack again. I always think let's have some mess and some fun and some noise in the market and also be really honest about it. If, if we can make the food process and eating and drinking really honest then we have nothing to hide, then people, you know, they'll get involved and they'll understand it clearer because they'll get to do it themselves and get hands-on. That's really important. So I'm just about to start cooking some langoustine. Clément Boucherie of Langoustine the Box, a company sourcing and selling fresh local shellfish. Actually what I use is 
it's clarified butter, ghee. Because I found it's, it won't burn as easily as normal butter on high heat. And then it's just, yeah, five minutes on high heat, giving them a turn every two minutes. And, uh, and then it's very delicious. Just add the lungskins. So my name is Clément. Um, so I'm French, obviously. Um, so what I do in here uh, in, at Bauhaus, um, so I'm using this unit for my business. And my business is based on sourcing local shellfish and uh, delivering it to local people. Uh, so general public, but restaurant as well. It's about reducing the food miles. Because it's food mile reduced, it's so fresh as well. So how did a Frenchman end up in Fife, helping to reinvigorate the local shellfish trade? I used to live in France, in the south of France. And I used to be a farm business advisor. I was working with young farmers, uh, people starting their own farm business. And in the south of France, we used to have a lot of uh, small vegetable growers trying only to get uh, to the markets, uh, to direct selling things. And when I arrived in Scotland, first, what struck my partner and me, we thought it's so difficult to buy local food. Although we were seeing in the fields around vegetables being harvested, things like that, we were just amazed that it wasn't possible to, I mean, then we realized it was possible, to, but you had to know the place, the guides, but it was difficult to get local food, being either vegetable, um, seafood, um, things like that. So, um, yeah, in a way, perhaps it was a kind of solution from myself to be able to eat local food as well. I had the idea, because when we arrived in Scotland with my partner uh, in 2014, we used to rent a house in Petenwim, just by the harbour, and I get to work for the fishing cooperative. Uh, at that time, they had the idea to open a direct sale outlet. So I did for them the market survey. And we found that there was like a big um, demand for local shellfish amongst local people. But in the end, the fishing cooperative didn't, they didn't go for this project. So after some years of thinking and doing something else, I decided why not start doing this. Um, and actually the fishing cooperative were very happy with it because in a way I'm selling their shellfish, I'm talking about their shellfish, so they're very happy with, with me doing this. Yeah, yeah. Almost all the langoustine lobsters and crabs landed in Petunwim, everything is sent uh, abroad, sent abroad, sorry. It's sent to France, Germany, Spain, Italy. So yeah, I've decided to perhaps take a tiny part of it and redirect it to local people. Clément explains why it was, and in fact still is, so difficult to source local shellfish in an area with such a strong fishing tradition. Until perhaps 30 years ago, uh, most of the landing in Petunwim was whitefish, flatfish. At some point, uh, the stocks collapsed in the, in the first of force. So fishermen had to turn to, towards another thing to, to fish. So they decided to fish for langoustine mostly. And I think at that time, Langoustine wasn't something really eaten here, so it was easier for them, and it made more sense economically just to 
send everything in bulk to continental Europe, I think. But with the last and the present fishing uh, manager at the fishing cooperative, uh, there is this will to be able to redirect, even if it's a tiny part, some of the local shellfish locally. When we did the market survey, yeah, we realized that a lot of people were just thinking it's crazy. There is a huge amount of langus in London daily in Pedenwim, and we just can't get, I mean, it was possible, but you had to know the fishing manager, you, have to, you had to phone the cooperative first and ask for some langus. No, it wasn't convenient. So, yeah, that's why I more or less decided to do this. And he discovered that there is local demand. So the response to, from amongst local people is very great, great, yeah. Um, well, honestly, I still need to sell a lot more if I want at some point my business to be profitable, but I'm, I think I'm still in the phase where I need to grow until I reach the point where things are getting better. But yeah, for example, during a market like this, a lot of people local, or not so local, but a lot of people just come, even if they don't buy anything. Some of them are saying, finally, we can get some local lungus in here. So there is a very, yeah, very good response from, from the general public here in the area. The Bowhouse has provided Clement with a base, but also access to customers and a network of peers. I'm using the unit, this unit, so I'm renting it from Balkaski. Basically, I come with all my, all the lungus I need, grab the lobster, I wash everything and I pack everything, and then uh, with ice, and then I, I start from here to do my delivery tour, and that's it, so I need space just to store a lot of boxes, a lot of packaging, I need space to wash everything with a lot of clean water, so yeah, I needed a place to do this. And what's very great about the place is that you have a market once a month. So when I'm doing a market like today, I don't have to travel a lot of miles with my, all my stuff, all my gear, just to be able to sell something. So it's very, very easy. And what's great also is that there are now all the producers here. So it's very, yeah, very interesting to be able to just to exchange with all the guys and to see that we have the same problems. <laughs> we want the same things. So it's uh, great. Clement has some tips for other people setting up local food businesses, whether in the East Nuke or elsewhere. What I would say is try not to be isolate. Try to contact other people, like-minded people perhaps, other producers, just not to work alone. Because I think when you start a business, uh, especially when you are the only one, you have no employee yet, yeah, it's very easy to be alone during all the day when you are working and just to be able to talk to other like-minded people, other producers, other business managers, uh, it's very, very important. Don't, don't lose your Face. Yeah, don't lose face in local food. <laughs> That's what I would say. And finally, just a few steps from the Bowhouse, in a small corner of the Balkaski estate, is East Nuke Market Garden, a mixed fruit and veg enterprise. My name's Connie. I'm running a agroecological market garden with my partner here uh, at Bowhouse, and I also work for Scotland the Bread as a miller part-time. Yeah, and um, my name's Tom, and I work full-time down at the Market Garden, growing veggies and fruit, mostly veggies at the moment. We always had like an aspiration to do some kind of work on the land and farming or market gardening. It was kind of the thing you talked about in the pub, like it wouldn't be fun to do that. And then we quit our jobs and went travelling in Europe and woofed on farms. And basically the first experience we had was woofing on a 
intensive market garden in the northwest of France and the guy was a fantastic teacher and a really good host and we had a really amazing time basically and very quickly realized that we were this is what we wanted to do and the style of thing we wanted to do so then I did that for a bit longer but basically then came back in January of last year because we realized that, that that would be the time if we wanted to get an internship or a job and basically the job that we ended up getting was up here in Fife at Pillars of Hercules, which is a really long-standing organic vegetable farm in the west of Fife. So we worked there for a season and then found out about the opportunity to rent some land from the Bacaski estate here at Bowhouse and kind of saw that it was the time to try and jump in and so we kind of just jumped in basically and started this year. We kept thinking, like, do we really have enough experience to do this? You know, maybe it's totally laughable, but in the end we just thought, well... This is an opportunity that's here now. Bowhouse was just getting started. The cafe wasn't up and running yet. And we just thought, actually, someone else is going to take that bit of land. (laughs) We really want to do it. My mum's growing flowers next door. So that's how we knew about it, really. We were helping her at the time. And so we just thought, well, we could move somewhere else and get another season or two's experience somewhere else. But actually, we like Fife. We've made friends here now. And this is an opportunity. So let's just take it while it's here and we can just you know, learn as we go kind of thing. Mm. And for their fledgling food business, the Bowhouse provides valuable opportunities. The vision of the Bowhouse is a kind of like a food hub for Fife, which is sort of linking different kinds of producers together. And as vegetable growers, that's really interesting for us because we're sort of like a, you know, like a primary product producer, but then we have like a, there's a cafe here that we can sell directly to, you know, 200 metres away. They want to take everything that we can sell to them. So that's a really massive plus when you're starting out to have that, you know that there's a market for you. There's a seaweed business that's starting and he's interested in growing as well. So we're going to hopefully do some trials of using like pure seaweed compost. And there's just a mix of different things going on that means that we, you, you're going into the kind of the scene that's here easier as, as, as outsiders, you know, as people who aren't, didn't grow up here. And now we've moved to the East Nook, which obviously traditionally a fishing area but now I think there are more smaller producers and you know the Balkaski estate are being supportive in that sense trying to you know make the units in the building in Bowhouse for for smaller producers because that's such a big outlay for a small producer to have you know all the uh, food safety and hygiene and meet all the different specs and regulations and everything so if those were already in place set up by someone who's got the cash to do that that's a really great thing a supportive thing to have mm. yeah the bit of land that we rent from Balkaski estate is kind of too small and awkward for their style and, and scale of, of machinery now so what they've done is turn it into two smaller two acre plots but They've put deer-proof fencing around the whole thing. They've brought in water and electricity. They've let us put down hard standing, do a concrete base for our shed. So in that sense, that's so so supportive, you know, like how much it would cost us to put deer-proof fencing around two acres mm. of land and bring in all the water and electricity by ourselves. It's just astronomically expensive. In that sense, we just couldn't have been luckier. Yeah. Before we even took the lease last year, they they asked us, like, oh, if you... For next year, if you're, you're growing, what could we do to make it easier for you? Like, we put a green manure in, so they, they spread the and seeded the um, the red clover that's here now, which we're still benefiting from, like, a year later after they sowed it. 
which is brilliant and we're sort of slowly carving niches out of like the forest of red clover that's now growing everywhere I mean we get manure from them as well from their farm which they've converted to uh, organic so the manure's organic and it's you know from uh, a mile or two miles away so that's always like a question about like you know fertility like how where does it come from do you produce it yourself do you have to buy it what's you know there's the energy of like producing whatever the fertility is but also the transport of it for us it's just a really amazing resource that we can have so close by and for them you know we get like a ton and make it last a, a couple of months and for them it's just a drop in the ocean so yeah. that's really that's really helpful too. Connie and Tom are clearly getting a lot of support from Balkaski but that doesn't change the fact that they're tenants of a huge estate so what about the thorny question of land ownership? I think that's so important and that's what in an ideal world that's what we would want you know we really thought hard about if we do want to have our own place what how do we do that you know buying land is so prohibitively expensive and if you want to live on that land as well you either have to buy a plot of land in the hope that you'll get planning permission to build a house we can't buy a house with land that's just too expensive I'm not actually that bothered about building my own house. I just want to, I just want to farm. So basically, young people, if you don't have loads of money to start out, in Scotland anyway, because land ownership is so concentrated in the hands of landowning estates, you know, those are the people who've got the land. Those are the people you have to talk to. I don't expect any of them to sell us small bits of their estate. That's not what they want to do. They want to keep it all together. I would love to be able to do that, um, but... That's not what they're going to do, and they've got the land. And if you want to start farming, that's just what we've had to do. Just have to rent it from them and then try and live in a house nearby. Otherwise, you're just going to wait until you're 40 or 50 before you can start. And if more of us start doing that, you know, and have the conversation and talk about it, then that's moving forward. So that's that's what we had to decide to do in the end, and it's what a lot of other people are doing as well. The strange thing about it in the end is that it depends on the personality so much it's not like a structural solution or a situ or or a, or a way of sort of really organizing society in the long term mm. if i can say that but you sort of have to deal with what's there mm. um and yeah. there's loads of benefits to that you know if yeah. we'd bought land um by ourselves then we wouldn't have had any of the brilliant support we've had from yeah. the estate in terms of you know the stuff i've already mentioned about oh, the yeah. fencing and the water and, and having bow house here you know there's a market literally 100 meters from our door and they you know, they've helped us in, in so many different ways. So actually, you know, there's pros and cons. And right now, that's just the best. Yeah, right now, the pros do. outweigh any bigger sort of ideological or political yeah. or practical cons. They're just the the day to day benefit of, of having that support and being part of a wider project is massive. It's really, really helpful. There's always people around and people to talk to. So that's yeah. massive as well. Yeah. Here's market and events manager Rosie Jack with her view of what the Bowhouse has achieved so far and what the future holds for the project. I think it's made people more aware of what they're eating. I think it's kind of introduced the local area to lots of local producers that they didn't even know were next door to them. There's still lots of work to do. There's still lots of sort of, oh, you're my next door neighbour. There's lots of those connections to make. But we've definitely kind of developed that relationship and helped small producers get into the field. So we also have Business Gateway funding, 
that we we just got another very grateful for another batch of money and we're sort of funding new and local businesses seasonal businesses to be at the market and they might not be able to afford that to start off we also try and give them sort of any sort of training like social media marketing um, accounts anything like that that we can help with we're trying to help lots of local businesses and we've really seen that work and, and help them get going give them the confidence as well I think that's quite important I think us Scots don't like to blow our own trumpet a lot of the time and I think giving them the confidence to say hey look I've got something really good here and I worked really hard on it and actually it's brilliant and I really want people to know about it so giving them that platform as well and over the tabletop opportunities to speak to their consumers straight away is so valuable and tell their story as well the producers and the makers in Bow House are the main part of it and I think really pushing them forward is the next big step that I would like to do is building sort of a food club up possibly um, or even an assembly, a sort of a food assembly hub where people can come and pick up their their veg box. With that veg box they can get their Scotland bread flour and they can get it all in one place and they know that it's been basically grown and made in one place. That's what we'd love to do next. And, I want to get it right before we do it. I don't want to just throw it out there because I'm not sure that our followers are quite ready for that yet. So making sure that people understand what we're trying to do and get on board with it. And I don't want it just to take off and then fizzle out. I think the longevity of it is actually more important. So that's hopefully coming. But again, lots of tinkering to do on that and get it right. Toby Anstruthers' view of the bow house has changed since the project launched. I suppose I also naively thought that this would just be about sale of food and production of food and I probably underestimated the importance of the enjoyment of the process of coming together and looking at and tasting and buying food and so uh, to recognize that Bowhouse for it to be a day out engaging with food is not a bad thing and that we need people who are coming out and engaging with food as well as those people who are just coming out just to buy kale or just to buy wheat or what have you. And so getting that fuller picture about how food engages and relates to the local community uh, takes time. And it also takes time, some of our suppliers have started because of Bowhouse, it takes time for people to build up confidence to become a supplier anywhere and including with us. Um, and to have a go because we've all been told that we're useless and that we need to leave food up to the big businesses and that actually we can have a go and it's not that complicated to bake bread or to make beer or to do anything else like that we can just have a go and so it does take time and it will continue to take time but our experience so far with Bowhouse is it's given us the confidence to know that that will happen and that the real job here is to provide the habitat in which that happens and then to step back and let it be taken over. The Bowhouse model combines production space, regular markets, networking opportunities and other support, all in an effort to rebuild the connections between producers and consumers. So is that a model that could work elsewhere? I think it's scalable. I think of it as being something that's open source. If anyone else wanted to come, I would gladly, gladly share our experiences of what we've done, how it could be done better or cheaper or in different ways. There's a lot that I haven't learnt yet about Bowhouse, so it's certainly not perfect. But I think that the re-emergence of local food hubs seem to be something that other people are starting to look at as well so it isn't something that can only be done here or I'm not the only person doing it and so there are lots of models out there how they evolve over time I, I don't know but we need more of them and then we could all learn
And finally, an invitation from Toby for people to get involved. The only thing, in a way, is to encourage people to come forward with ideas, either for them as makers or for them as consumers or for them as people who are interested in, in what we're doing and the way that those separate elements of the food system are coming together because we shouldn't have to, but we seem to be having to reinvent that part of the structure. And so the more heads we have doing that, the, the better. These conversations were recorded long before the pandemic, at a time when it was still possible to go to a busy market, sit down next to total strangers and eat food with your hands. It's a strange thought. So I asked Rosie to give us an update on what's going on at the Bow House now. Morning, Katie. I was just having a think about the questions you sent me. So the first one is, what have been the main challenges of the last few months. And I think for Bowhouse, the main challenges have been that we've obviously had to cancel our main events, our market weekends. Um, This has been really hard because obviously we've seen our traders really sad. A lot of them are quite small traders. So the market weekends across Scotland are their kind of main route to market. A lot of them didn't have any e-commerce or online shops set up. So It was a real challenge for them, actually. It was a difficult decision for us, but something we had to make. It's also been really hard not seeing any of our traders and any of our customers. Bowhouse is kind of all about that kind of coming together, sharing information and resources and skills and hands-on skills as well. So it's been really difficult doing everything uh, virtually, but a kind of good challenge as well. It's something that we are moving towards anyway. And it's been, it's opened up other opportunities for us to do new things. So your next question is, how has Bowhouse responded to the situation? So as soon as lockdown hit, and actually before we, we were locked down in Scotland, we have talked in the past about having an online shop for Bowhouse traders. Initially, this was going to be for the Bowhouse businesses that are based on site. But actually, we wanted to open this up to all the rest of our traders that come to our events because we felt that it was really beneficial for them. So what we've done is we've partnered up with Open Food Network, which is an online shared e-commerce platform. It's all open source. And what they do is they're like the host site where the kind of middleman, the traders load their stock and their products to the site. We create when the market's open so people, our customers can log on and buy produce from our traders. We do all the marketing. And then on the on the right day, we pick and pack all the products once the stock's dropped at Bowhouse. And then we deliver to our customers as well as having a collection point from Bowhouse as well. It's weekly. We wanted to make sure this was something that was regular enough to make an impact on our local community. This has worked really well and we're really pleased with it. It's called Bowhouse Link and it's on the Open Food Network. So the next question is, have you seen any changes or heard of anything that gives you hope um, yeah definitely actually we've kind of heard from a lot of our traders that they've been getting a lot of direct sales from customers customers are kind of seeking out these traders and the products themselves it's been really nice to see the support for local traders and local produce because obviously the lack of events this year is going to massively impact on them so yeah hopefully this sort of change in the way we shop 
will continue and it's about kind of keeping that momentum going I think and trying to find a way that once the lockdown is lifted and it's obviously super easy to get food again that we can kind of keep the ball rolling and keep people buying local and shopping local and working with traders and eating within their community. The last question is just what else we'd like to say and I think it's important that people know that Bowhouse Link and what we've set up in light of COVID-19, it's not going to fade away overnight. We're not going to stop doing our online platform, our online market after lockdown. It's something we want to continue working alongside the market weekends because Bowhouse is is all about being that that place for food and drink producers to to have a marketplace and to sell to our, our community of followers and having that more regular rather than just once a month at the market weekends, having it weekly, hopefully will continue to change the way that people shop and eat food in our area. So yeah, it's gonna work alongside it. Obviously when the market weekends open back up, there's gonna be lots of changes. We're gonna obviously consider how the layout is. There might be some things we can't have, like the sort of street food area, or maybe you know, we can't have live music or things like that. But information's coming at us all the time and it's always new. So we're just trying to make decisions on that information as it comes. So, yeah, we just want to thank all of our customers for supporting us. And obviously our traders at Bowhouse, the businesses that are based there, are really thankful too. To find out more about the Bowhouse, visit bowhousefife.com. That's Bowhouse, spelled B-O-W-H-O-U-S-E, and Fife is F-I-F-E. This episode of Farmerama was produced by me, Katie Revel, with Abby Rose and Joe Barrett. Community support is provided by Hannah Sutherland, Fran Bailey, Annie Landless, Eliza Jenkins, and Olivia Oldham. Our theme music is by Owen Barrett.